Well, turn with me to the book of Galatians, and we're looking at Galatians 5, beginning at verse 16 uh, today. Galatians 5, 16, and we're continuing our study, or we're kind of wrapping, beginning to wrap up this study of the book of Galatians. Um, and today's message uh, is titled uh, Supernatural, or my working title, Batteries Included. Um, when you look at this passage, you ask yourself the question, why does he start talking about the Spirit of God? Because he says, so I say, live by the Spirit. And, and you think, now, Paul, why, why all of a sudden talking about the Spirit? It seems like kind of a random topic as you've been talking about law and grace, right? Well, it's not so random as it may appear because when you look at this idea of law and grace and that we no longer live by the law and we live by grace. And in fact, we see in chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, for it is for freedom that Christ sets you free. And it says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And he's talking about slavery to the law. Uh, and he talked about that whole idea in the idea with Hagar and Sarah in the last, in the chapter 4, end of chapter 4. And so he's talking about law and what grace is, and now he's telling how to live it. Because you see, when we look at the idea of law, what does law do? When you go to a law court, what happens? You're going because you've probably done something that's broken a law, and you go, and, and you go there, and so they're telling you, you broke the law. And then if they convict you or condemn you, then they pass a punishment, the consequence that's going to happen. The only thing that law gives you are those two things, condemnation and penalty or punishment. When you look at this idea of grace, you're set free. God designed our lives to be set free from condemnation and from the punishment that follows because Jesus took on himself the punishment that we deserved. He took on himself the condemnation that was due to us and he carries it for us so that we're set free. It's like if you were to go to the, to the uh, courtroom, you're standing there before the judge and the judge is Jesus Christ and judge, uh, judge Jesus Christ is looking at you and saying, you stand condemned before the law and the penalty is death because that's the punishment for sin is death for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all guilty and the wages of sin is death. So when I look at the condemnation and the punishment guaranteed death, and then Jesus pronounces that condemnation, and then he takes off his robe, and he walks around the, uh, to, to stand with me, and then he says, I will take the punishment that he deserves. And all I have to do is receive that from him, that gift from him. And I may be saying, no, Lord, I'll take it myself. I'll, I'll, I'll die this death because I deserve it. And he's, he's going, no, I, I paid for you. And that's the struggle between the person who has not put their faith in Christ and the one who has. There, we have to receive his free offer. It's not based on my merit. If it's based on me, if it's based on law, then we've seen in Galatians that I have to keep the law perfectly, which I cannot do. And so my condemnation is guaranteed death. But when I receive Christ's free offer of salvation, he pays the penalty and he died on the cross for me to pay that penalty and I am set free. 
It's a simple process. It's a simple thing. He, he takes the penalty for me. He has to, in his righteousness and his justice and his holiness, he has to declare me guilty. And then he takes it off, goes around, takes my place, and then declares me, when I receive him, not guilty. That's what justification is. That's what being justified means. Declared not guilty. He did that for us. And so when we receive Christ, that's what happens. But what happens is in the Christian life, what I found is, is we go back to law. We're kind of comfortable in law. And he's saying, okay, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. And now I got this from here. And we try to live our lives by our own works, by our own merit. It's why Paul got after the Galatians in chapter 3 and goes, what are you doing? That's kind of a you know, modern rendition of what, what do you do? What do you think you're doing? You, how did you receive the Spirit? Notice that's what he says. 3.1. He says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? It's like we go back to this human effort piece. And so then we're very religious people who have a list of do's and don'ts, and we try to do the do's, and we try not to do the don'ts, and, and, and we find ourselves failing at it. And Jesus is going, what gives? Paul's going, why are you doing that? You can live the supernatural life. You ever had your phone run completely out? Completely out of batteries? Completely flatlined? Won't even turn on? And what do you got to do? Everybody knows, plug the thing in. Airports, you see it all over the place. People with the little wires going to these posts and everything else, right? Because it's got a battery in it. It works if it's just charged. And the Christian life is like, we, when we're living by law, when we're living by our human merit and effort, it's like we've got this battery and we're just kind of ignoring the battery and we're punching the button going, why isn't this thing working? Plug it in. All of heaven's going, plug it in. And we're thinking we can just make it work on our own. And Paul says that's foolishness to live that way. Wisdom is living by the Spirit of God. Because there's an encouragement, an exhortation here, and a promise. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. And you think, well, how do I live by the Spirit? What do I need to do? Do I need to pray to receive the Spirit? I mean, it says, I'm going to just kind of give you a little quick primer on walking and living by the Spirit. Some translations say live, some say walk. It's the idea of living a life in the Spirit of God. How do we do that? Well, first you have to understand is that you receive the Spirit of God at the moment of your salvation. In fact, if you've got a Bible opened, if you'll notice the page right over next to it is Ephesians. If you're at chapter 5 in Galatians, you've got Ephesians staring at you, and it tells you when you receive the Spirit in chapter 1. It says in 1 verse 13... It says, 
And you also were included in Christ. When did that happen? He goes, when you heard the word of truth. What is that? He tells us the gospel of your salvation. So when I heard the gospel of my salvation, having believed, I was included in Christ. Having believed, I also was marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, verse 14, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So the moment I believed in the gospel, which is Christ died for my sins and rose from the grave and I put my faith in him and I have eternal life, when I believe that, when I believe in the gospel, I'm included in Christ. When I believe in the gospel... I'm given the spirit of God to reside and live within me. That's what Paul says. How long do I have that spirit for your whole life? In the Old Testament, they didn't have that promise. In the New Testament, we do. Ephesians 4.30 says that we are sealed in him until the day of redemption. So I have the spirit of God from the moment I believe. I don't have to pray to receive the spirit. Now, the disciples had to wait for the spirit in Acts chapter 1. They, Jesus says, go to Jerusalem, wait there, and you'll receive the spirit. So they went there, and they received the spirit 10 days later after he told them. But we don't have to do that. That was something that was a one-time deal for the disciples, for the apostles. We see in the, in the early part of Acts, some people that received Christ and they got the Spirit a little bit later when they had laying on of hands. Well, what was that all about? Every time it was a Gentile and a Jew was present to watch. Why did they need that? So they could see the Gentiles are supposed to be included in this thing called the church, that the Gentiles are supposed to be included in this thing called salvation. And in, in Acts chapter 15, you see that happening. That's what they say. They received the Spirit just like we did, didn't they? They should be included. And so that was the whole purpose of all of that. And so we don't have to wait. Paul is saying in Ephesians 1, at the moment I believe in the gospel of truth, I receive the Spirit of God. If you've believed on Jesus, you have the Spirit. So you have the battery included. You have supernatural power just waiting to be tapped inside of you. And it's one of the reasons why Paul in Ephesians, also chapter 1, says that he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, verse 18, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. What is that power? He just said, it's the Spirit of God in verse 13 and 14. It's the Spirit of God coming in you. You have this incredibly great power residing within you and it's like we've we've let the battery run down and we're not using it and we're wondering why our Christian life doesn't work and we're trying to live it by a religious idea we try to study it like it's just another area a topic of study and we know all these things about God and yet our life lived that way looks very different than our life lived by the power of God when we walk in the spirit I've lived both of those kinds of lives. I've lived the life when I first came to, or before I came to Christ, in a church that was teaching all these things, and I could do the genuflections and the signs of the cross and all the stuff, all the bells and smells. I was an acolyte. I mean, I knew it all. I knew when to ring, and I carried the cross, carried candles, flags, whatever. I mean, and and yet there was a it was religious. 
but it wasn't relationship. It was religious. It was law. It was all based on me and what I can do. And I think when I came, went, to, went to the University of Texas, I ran into some guys that were believers in Christ, and they were sharing the gospel with me, and I thought, I, I, I was raised this religious thing, but they got something different than what I have. I don't know what it is, but I want some of what they have. And I was trying to figure it out, and what I was seeing was them walking in the Spirit of God. You can, you can see a difference. You can, you can notice a difference in your own life when God is working and when you're just working. It's different. You see his hand at work and you become, begin to become sensitive to what he's doing rather than what you're doing and you realize it's simply living by the Spirit. So the first step is receiving Christ as your Savior. Then you get the Spirit. The second part is understanding how the Spirit works in your life. In Ephesians 5.18, we're told to be filled with the Spirit. And you think, what does that mean? Well, he makes a comparison by way of contrast with something else in 5.18. He says, uh, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So he compares drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit. And in fact, if you remember in Acts 2, that's what they uh, misunderstood. They thought, oh, they're drunk early in the morning. No, it's, it's being filled with the Spirit. And what was it that was going on? Well, drunkenness, when, when a person gets drunk, they come under the influence. In fact, if they're driving, that's why we call it driving under the influence, right? So they drive under the influence. What does that mean? We walk under the influence of the Spirit of God. That the Spirit of God, when we submit to Him, He begins to work in our lives. And when, he, when that happens, in those moments when that happens, that's powerful, in those moments when that happens, we're taking a, a step. And filling is a moment-by-moment -moment thing. It's not a constant thing. The uh, Archbishop of Canterbury made a statement this last week. He said, every Christian is a charismatic. Now, he's charismatic, and he's saying every Christian is a charismatic. And when he was asked why, he says, uh, and in what sense? They said, in the sense that they are all filled with the Spirit. And I thought, well, not every Christian is filled with the Spirit. I'm not even filled with the Spirit all the time. Sometimes I'm filled with anger. Sometimes I'm filled with other things. And so you, you realize, even my own life, this filling is a moment-by-moment -moment thing. I may be filled in this moment, and the next moment I'm not filled. And then I realize it, and I, and I get filled with the Spirit. And what, what do I do to get filled? I just simply submit to the Spirit of God. I submit to His leading in my life. And in fact, that's one of the phrases that's used here in uh, Galatians 5. He says in verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He's making this contrast. You're either led by the Spirit or you're led by the law. Which one's it going to be? You're either led by this to-do list or you're led by the Lord himself. And so you think, well, how do, I, how do I know what the Spirit wants me to do? In 2 Peter 1.21, we're told how our Bibles came to us and who was the source of the, our Bibles. In 2 Peter 1.21, it says, uh, in verse 20, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. So this is not man's book about God. Peter's saying that. Because he says, But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this book that I hold in my hands... The people who wrote it were led along by the Spirit of God. And so essentially, this is the Spirit of God 
speaking into my life. When I read my Bible, I'm allowing the Spirit of God to speak into my life. And so it's not necessarily some mystical thing that I'm, that I'm doing in that regard. I'm, I'm actually taking the Word of God and I'm, I'm reading it and I'm knowing what He wants me to do and what He doesn't want me to do. Where the relational element comes in is whenever I've read God's word and I'm starting to do something and the Spirit convicts me of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what John tells us the Spirit's job is in John chapter 16. He says that the Spirit convicts me of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So I'm getting ready to do something. All of a sudden, I'm convicted in my heart. Don't do that. Don't take that step. Don't click that button on your computer and go to this site that you shouldn't see. And at that moment, I have the opportunity to take every thought captive, as 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells me, take every thought captive the obedience of Christ. And I, I can't do that on my own. I need the Spirit of God working in me. I need the Spirit of God transforming my life, convicting my life, so that I step in the direction that he has for me. And I know that that's true because of what his word tells me, what I should be involved in and what I should not be involved in. I read Job's life and he made a covenant with his eyes that would not look lustfully at a woman. And so you look at that and you think, wow, that, that's a covenant I need to make. And Lord, remind me of that. Convict my heart of that. Turn, help me to turn my eyes away. And the reality is, is it's not just among men, but women as well. In our, and it's growing. With the advent of the internet, it's just, it's just transformed things in our culture, and some for good, some not. The Spirit of God, we need Him leading us and leading our hearts. At times, leading our hearts in a direction to minister to someone else. Because our spirit, our, our flesh is working against the Spirit of God. It says in verse 17 of Galatians 5, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. So you've got to make a decision, right? It says they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want to do. That reminds me, that phrase reminds me of Romans chapter 7, where he said the very things I want to do, I don't do, and the very things I don't want to do, I do. And so there's that struggle in the Christian life of, of wanting to do the right things. And I know that I don't want to just live my Christian life based on what I can accomplish because that's not going to go very far. I mean, I've already proven that by how I eat, right? You know, we all have those struggles in our lives. And, and it, it, it's one of the things when I start every year, you know, I started this year the same way, a, a sugar fast for 30 days. I'm still in that 30-day period, right? And, and I've lost eight pounds. And I think, can I keep it going? Can I take off a little more? And I know I can't do this on my own. I need the Spirit of God. Or else it's not going to happen. I don't want to live my life just on what I can do. It's foolish, Paul says, to live life that way. That's not what the Christian life was designed to do. Why would anybody be attracted to Christian life as that's my Christian life? Well, they're doing the same thing. They made a commitment for the, for the gym for January too, and they signed up for the whole year, and they're going to be paying for a whole year when they only show up for three weeks, right? But when we have the Spirit of God, batteries included, in our Christian life, and we, and we tap into the source of what he's doing, and we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God, we read his word, and we pray, Lord, please help me, change me, transform my life, 
make my life more than I could ever make of myself. And he begins his work. And he tells us, he says, but if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then he says, the acts of the sinful nature. He says, let me just spell this out for it like we need it. We kind of could make the whole list too, right? The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. So there, that idea, the, the, the first word that he uses there is porneia. And porneia is the word we get our word pornography from. And when you think about that, you look at their culture and their society, theirs went way beyond pornography. Theirs was a culture where, where uh, uh, brothels were, were prominent in most cities. In fact, Susan and I got the opportunity to go to Pompeii, and it was a city that was uh, covered over by volcan- uh, volcanic stuff. And when they've uncovered that city, they have a perfectly preserved uh, Roman city from 70 AD because they know exactly when, that, when all that occurred. And so here, this city, and they have brothels abound. And one of the things that, that pointed the way to the brothels were these phallic symbols. And so they're pointing the way to brothels. It was very much a part of their culture, just like it is ours. And he's saying, the Spirit of God, when you walk in the Spirit of God, you want to have victory over those things? That's what's going to give you victory. Not you trying harder, but the Spirit of God working in you and convicting your heart as you memorize his word, as you think about it with him. He says idolatry and witchcraft, a couple of more things that he has there. And and when I was uh, recently read an article that talked about how witchcraft has, has grown in our culture, especially among millennials, uh, it says that witchcraft has gone from uh, in 2008, no, not 1990 to 2008, went from 8,000 uh, 8, to 340,000. And, and a couple of years ago when the research was done, 1.5 million now. Witchcraft is growing in our culture and in our society. And Paul's saying, that's what happens when you throw God off. That's what happens when you throw the Spirit out. He says, you need to walk in the Spirit. You need to live by the Spirit. You need to be led by the Spirit. Then he gives a list of eight things that have to do with relationships. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, which is the root of so many other sins, dissensions, factions. And in their day, they had Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes. We have our own factions. And envy. And then he talks about drunkenness and orgies. And I think... Over the years as a pastor, I've known many people, part of Mansfield Bible Church, who are either alcoholic or who are trying to overcome alcoholism. And I would guarantee you that in our church family, we probably have some folks like that. Maybe you are one. Maybe you go around and hide stuff in your home. Maybe you struggle with alcoholism and maybe your family knows about it. Maybe they don't. And what I would say is, please get help. It's possible The Spirit of God can take the impossible and make it possible, but you've got to take that step. Please do that. For your family's sake, for your sake. Drunkenness, orgies, and then he says, and the like. In other words, I'm just getting warmed up. There's a whole lot more things, not just these 15 things that he lists here as vices, but so many more. And then he makes this troubling statement when he says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
And you go, oh, no, Greg, what, what about this thing you said about the Spirit of God and you can't lose the Spirit of God and it looks like, well, he's not contradicting himself, so what is he saying here? What he's saying here is, is this is how the world lives. This is how those who don't have the Spirit of God live. Don't live like this. This is how those who don't inherit the kingdom of God live. Don't live like that. Don't, as a believer, let your life look like the unbeliever's life. The one who doesn't inherit. And I know that because he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So he's going back to the law. He's saying this is, this is different than what you've ever seen before. There's no law against these things. Since this is what your life should look like. These nine things that he lists here, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits of the Spirit, plural. The fruit, this is what it should look like. You have love. For one another, you have joy different than happiness. You may not be happy, but you can have joy. Joy comes from the Lord. Happiness comes from just situations happening generally. Peace. How many people long for peace? Our world longs for this peace that passes understanding, and, and we get that from the Lord. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the one that is the shalom of the world, the peace of the world, and, and, and it comes from Him. He's the source, He's the root of it. Patience. Not something that we want to pray for, right? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can take that list and right now just ask yourself, are you walking in the Spirit? And all you have to do is say, are these things happening in my life? And if the answer is no, then you'd say, well, I guess I'm not walking in the Spirit right now. So what do I need to do to get to that point? I need to start talking to the Lord. I need to start praying and saying, Lord, I'm kind of missing something here. I'm not experiencing some of these things. We need to begin to read his word. Where's the, where are those areas where I'm, I'm messing up and how can I get to where God would like for me to be in his strength, not on my own? Kind of an interesting thing this week. Um, I found myself short-tempered angry, not peaceful inside, struggling just like many of you. And I was struggling with these things. And even this morning, waking up and thinking, Lord, I've got to preach about walking in the spirit and I'm struggling with it right now. And you got about 20 minutes from the time I leave the house till I get to church to kind of help me get there, right? And I, and I, I realize we all struggle with this. I'm not exempt from this. It's amazing how many times when I'm preaching on something, God allows me to go through it that week. There's a lot of topics I don't want to preach on anymore. Just saying. (laughs) And so I found myself at the end of this week struggling with a number of different things and thinking, Lord, I can't get there on my own. I can't get to walking in the Spirit on my own. And I know that. I need you to fill me with your spirit. And I need you to calm my restless heart. And I need you to bring me to the peace that passes understanding. And God does that. As we look to him. I'm just keeping it real. I struggle with the same stuff you struggle with. 
We all have stuff that goes on in our lives and, and sometimes it's just a pile and, a, and another thing and another little thing and another little thing and then it's that last little thing. Boom. Pow. And man, we melt down, right? We struggle at that moment. And the Spirit of God knows that. That's why we need him. And he can do what we could never do in our lives. And so we began to look to him and he gives us hope. He gives us strength. He gives us all the things, everything we need for life and godliness in him. And so we confess, hey, I'm weak. I'm unworthy of your grace. Jesus died for me. That should be enough. And yet I need you daily. And he knows that. And he loves us so much that he gave us his spirit. That's how much he knows. Yeah, you're going to mess up. You need my spirit. Oh, yeah, we got this. Right. You need my spirit. Oh, I, I got this covered. No, right, but you, you, need, you need my spirit. And then he gives us his spirit, and then when we struggle, we go, uh, I need your spirit. Yeah, told you, right? <laughs> and he loves us so much that Christ not only died for us, but that when we receive him, Jesus sent us another comforter who can comfort us in our sorrows, who can bring joy to our lives, who can bring that love, that patience that we need, that peace that passes understanding. He can restore our hearts, recharge our hearts, and move us from no bars to, to five bars in our heart where we're full of his spirit. And then we come to, to this place and we either get charged or we worship out of a full heart. But either way, God receives us and he loves us and he gives us his spirit for a reason because he knows we need him every single day. Father, we come to you this morning and we admit we need you every day, every moment of every day, every hour we need you. Thank you for being there. Thank you for knowing that in advance and, and giving us your spirit Help us not to be so foolish and so unwise that we think that we've got to just kind of tough it out on our own. Help us not to think that we can, by our human effort, can make things happen apart from you. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. I pray that you would transform us by your spirit. Help us every day to make that choice to walk in your spirit. Help us every day to make that choice to read your word so we know what we're supposed to do, so that we get our marching orders, so that we keep in step with the spirit, that we walk in step with the spirit. Father, we come to you. We know that we need you. Lord, I pray for those who may, may be here this morning and haven't taken that first step of receiving Christ so that they have your spirit also. I pray that they would take that step. They would allow Christ to pay the penalty that, that they owe. Lord, I pray for us as we look at our lives and see those places we struggle. Help us to make the choice every day to walk by your spirit, to live by your spirit. Help us to make the choice every day to, to be led by your spirit and not 
be led by our anger, our rage, our to-do list, uh, do's and don'ts lists. Help us just to be led by your spirit. And Father, I pray that our lives would make a difference in this world. That you would allow your spirit to transform us and that would transform our families and our neighbors and our city and our state, our world. Start with us, Lord. Make a difference in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.